This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I mean, you know, you're living in your mother's basement writing a blog on finance. Really, you should stay off the computer, son, and get a job. Seriously. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what a mess. Joe's mom throws the best New Year's, Flag Day, and Mother's Day parties. More on this latest spectacle later, but right now, we're celebrating the upcoming release of a movie about retiring early. Today, we welcome to the show the creators of the Playing With Fire documentary, Scott Rickens and Travis Shakespeare. Plus, a new MetLife study shows that Gen Y women are behind on finances and in confidence at the workplace. Is that you? What do you do if you're behind? We'll talk to Meredith Ryan-Reed, Senior Vice President, Group Benefits at MetLife for details. But that's not all. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, answer a letter from the mailbag, and still leave time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who were Joe's mom's wait staff at yesterday's party, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. What a day. Another bash by mom. Holy cow. Wasn't that a party? It was weird how she made us wear tuxes. <laughs> it was. Especially. It seemed a little extra formal. Especially once everybody hears later in the show exactly how that party went down. But uh, what a wild day. Welcome to A Wild Monday. I'm Joe Salcija. I average Joe money on Twitter, just so you know which voice is which. And across the card table from me for a Monday, it's my good friend OG, in a sweater vest. Well, not a sweater vest, just a very sharp looking sweater. No, it's just like a, it's one of those mock things that just looks like a sweater, but it only goes down to the part that you can see me at the table. Well, just like mom making us wear not tuxes, but those t-shirts with a tux print on the front. Well, that's what I, I figured everybody knew what we were talking about. Classy with a K. You know what else is classy? People who read the stacker, our nearly weekly email with hints and tips to get you forward through your year. We are building the stacker as we go with 52 weeks of fun. And by the way, you start from the beginning, no matter what time you start. So while the people at the beginning end of that have kind of seen my struggle of pulling this together, if you're new to the game, they're going to come once a week. And I haven't been disappointed until you run out (laughs) until you you catch up with everybody else. that gets them every so often until they catch up with the struggle. But you know what? By the end of the year, the struggle will be done. And thanks to acre trader for supporting stacking Benjamins, man, if you heard them on Friday, 
Well, you heard him, Friday OG. Good stuff there. For more information on how to become an investor buying farmland through AcreTrader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. But we got great stuff today. Scott Rickens, Travis Shakespeare coming down to the basement. We've also got, as Doug so eloquently said, uh, Meredith Ryan Reed from MetLife on My Dad's Shortwave. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Investment News, an industry rag for financial professionals. Often what's hot with the retail press, with the average person who listens to the show, and what's hot with advisors are two completely different things. And I always think it's fascinating to bridge the two of them because a lot of the time I feel like the popular press should be focused a little more on what the advisor press is focused on. And right now it's all these initial public offerings. We work now going public. It's just one like hot public offering after another one. But Jeff Benjamin writes hot IPO market has some advisors seeing red clients can get caught up in the frenzy over the latest IPOs and end up overpaying for shares. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. OG, an initial public offering. We might have some people listening that don't even know what that means, what it is. What is an IPO? Well, very simply, it's when a company who is privately owned, which most companies in the world are privately owned, decides that they want to not be privately owned anymore. They want to have public investors. And so you go hire an investment bank like Merrill or Goldman Sachs or somebody like that. And they look through all your data and all your records and whatever. And then they say, yeah, we think we can sell this. And they put together a offering package of what they think the company's worth and then sell it to people. The problem, of course, is that with IPOs, unless you know somebody on the inside, you don't really get the IPO price. And everybody thinks they are like IPOs on Tuesday at noon. And they sit there with their E-Trade account and they go and send. That's not the IPO. It's by the time it's already on E-Trade, it's already the secondary market, which is how everybody else buys stock. The other problem I have with IPOs, by the way, nicely done, sir, as always. Oh, thank you. Defining yeah. the IPO. The other Made problem, it up on the spot. Sounded right. If, if you're going to invest in individual stocks, you want to be able to look at the fundamentals of a company. And there's two different ways that people look at companies. They look at the fundamentals, which is how does the company operate to OG and I, those are the important things to know, right? What's the heartbeat of the company? Because over the long term, you're investing in this company and whatever it makes. Over the short term, people do a different type of analysis called technical analysis. And those are charts and graphs and really a lot of voodoo that is self-fulfilling prophecies. It works because everybody thinks it works, right? So right. because these stocks have resistance levels that people believe, pe the resistance level comes into, into effect and people stop trading when stocks reach certain points. So, But if you look at the fundamentals of a company, how big their sales are, how much of that money they keep, how much, uh, how much money they pass on to shareholders, what their debt level is, what their free cash flow is, things like that, you get the heartbeat. The bad news, OG, about an IPO we have very little data. Like we, we, we have very little to go on about this company's heartbeat. So you're really, it really is much more of a bet than investing in something like Microsoft or Netflix or Nike as an example. Well, there's going to be some disclosure, of course, in the documentation when you're trying to invest in any company. But I think that 
when it comes to newer companies, you just don't have the track record. Everybody thinks that IPOs make a ton of money or you'll hear the story of, you know, Joe Blow finally got an IPO and uh, for his company and now he's worth $2 billion or something. You have to remember that a lot of the people who make all of the money in initial public offerings are people who invested in the company when it was brand new, when it was just getting started. You know, you look at WeWork as an example or Uber or Lyft or Pinterest, like the people who made all the money in those stocks are the people who said in 2010, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Here's $100 million. And they traded that capital, that $100 million for a percentage part of the company. And then as the valuation became more and more, you know, their their percentage went down. But in theory, you know, their uh, the valuation went up. So when it IPOs, the guy who gave away $100 million to Uber gets $900 million in stock. Well, when you and I get Uber, <laughs> we get it for whatever the price is. And so... Like you said, when it comes to the uh, uh, fundamentals, we're buying the company what it is today and what we think it might be in the future. We're not buying any of the stuff that's already happened in the past. Yeah. Just to give you an example of why these are so hot, Pinterest, as of the time this piece was written, was up more than 70%. Zoom video that we talked about earlier. A lot of people bought the wrong stock. If you bought the right one, (laughs) uh, uh, that was up more than 86%. Levi Strauss up strong, Lyft up strong, lots of these companies. Now, if you're going to bet, which I think, I think you would agree, OG, jumping into an IPO is, is a bet. It is an investment as much as it's a bet. Maybe it makes sense for you to instead use a little sandbox money and instead do an ETF that invests in a basket of IPOs as they come out. So they have some strict rules around that. Two of those are the First Trust U.S. Equity Opportunities ETF, ticker symbol FPX, and uh, the Renaissance IPO ETF. Those are also, obviously, because IPOs are up strong. Now, just to, just to give you some fair warning, IPOs can be up really strong, which means? Which means Snapchat's down. 70%. Which means they can go down a ton, right? And in our second headline, there's a new study out from MetLife that shows a disturbing trend. Gen Y women behind on finances and in confidence at the workplace. And here to help us go through the study is our new friend, Meredith Ryan Reed, Senior Vice President of Group Benefits at MetLife. Hey, Meredith, how are you? Hi, Joe. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, this is not good news. Tell me what you found out in your study. Well, it really was a surprising finding in this year's study. You know, we're always looking at how uh, the different generations are are answering the same questions to see if there's any trends we can observe or any different perspectives. And this year, we were really surprised to see that women that are a part of Generation Y lag behind their male peers when it comes to finances and confidence in the workplace. And we measured this several different ways. Um, I'm happy to share some of the most insightful statistics, but just at the the top order, 86% of Gen Y women cite personal finances as a key pressure point, and only 54% of them report to be in control of their finances versus 76% of their male peers. And that's a really big gap. I wanted to ask why you think that is. If we dive into those numbers, Meredith, is it because so many women are juggling a career, maybe being a mom? Uh, You also have the wage gap. Tell me why you think that is. So I'm not sure it's 
it's any of those things, particularly for this generation, because if we think about who they are right now, they're anywhere between age 23 and 37. So certainly, you know, maybe about half of them could be juggling being a a new mom and having some additional responsibilities, um, might be caring for an aging parent. It's, It's possible. But if we think about just the youngest end of that spectrum, you would think and, and hope that people are coming into the workforce at about an equal wage. They might not be married yet. They probably don't have children yet. You know, what really struck me, aside from, you know, one of the other statistics we saw where we literally saw a difference in terms of the actual savings rate, many of the responses to the questions were about confidence. And it was about how the women in this generation feel. And I think that was really interesting because, you know, maybe the men are too confident. You know, what we see in our survey broadly is that the majority of workers don't have very good financial wellness. They don't have a lot of confidence that they have a real savings plan or a plan for retirement. And a lot of the statistics back that up. So, I wonder if there's a different way that employers and, frankly, society more broadly can help women feel more confident about their finances and and maybe help men to understand what's real and and what's not. Right. You've got some statistics that show that a lot of Gen X uh, women, especially, unhappy at work as well. You think that plays into it? So, yeah, we, we did have some work on Gen X that did show that. That was both for men and women, actually. I'm a member of that generation, so I understand we're kind of stuck in the middle a lot of the time. But specific to Gen Y, we did see that, the just to kind of put in perspective, 90% of happy employees say they're loyal to their employer. So loyalty is a really important measure. But they know that in Gen Y, women feel less valued and appreciated at work. So um, there's a couple stats we pulled through this year. I'll just give you two of them. The first is that 64% of Gen Y women feel respected at work compared to 80% of Gen Y men. Yeah, that's a big gap. Yeah. Um, And then 52% of Gen Y women feel empowered at work compared to 72% of Gen Y men. And again, you know, the interpretation is, is in the eye of the beholder, right? So maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, but this was really focused on people's perceptions. So we thought it was remarkable. Well, and I thought that was, and actually, and I did phrase that question very well, Meredith, about Gen X, because when I read these Gen X numbers as well, as the Gen Y stuff we're talking about, it seems like if older people are kind of bored at work, not getting much out of it. And then the numbers you stated with uh, Gen Y women, it's a top-down approach. And it feels like companies then have a real missed opportunity with a big section of their workforce. Yeah. I think it's true. I think what the um, biggest aha for me as we've been doing these surveys for so many years is that there's a real cry from employees for personalization. So people want to know that what they're doing is important for their life. So they want to have that that bigger sense of purpose. But then they also want to know that they have benefits and services and support at their workplace that's relevant to their life. So it's really hard to capture someone's attention, you know, when they're 22 years old by talking to them about protection insurance or um, a retirement plan. It just doesn't feel relevant to their life. But if you have a personalized conversation with that uh, individual about tuition reimbursement or how to buy a home or where you can get legal advice, 
if you're doing a financial transaction you've you've never had any experience with. I think that to the extent employers can offer more tailored, more personalized advice and benefits, they'll be able to capture, you know, the hearts and minds of their employees in a different way because you know, there's a huge variety in any given workforce and people need different things at different times. That's a great takeaway, Meredith, for people who are in charge. And I think anybody who works in an HR department, that's a huge lesson for companies. But what if I'm not a person in charge? What do I do? What's their takeaway? So I think that people don't realize how much is actually already available to them at work. Um, not a lot of us spend time surfing the intranet at our companies to find out, you know, what benefits we have available to us. So that's always my first tip for people is to get on there, explore what might be in existence today. Some employers offer financial wellness solutions. You might be able to talk to an advisor who can help you with your particular situation. Or, you know, some companies have employee assistance programs that are really broad in terms of what they can help people with, everything from helping to find elder care or daycare to you know, when, when people really have um, a need to talk to someone, they might be struggling with a mental health issue. That's available through many employers, and, and I don't think people always know that. And then I would always start with your HR person, and don't be afraid to ask them for help. They, they tend to be the people who know how to navigate and get help when people need it. That's such great advice. And when I talk to HR people, they always they always go over how nobody asks them and they're the pros at work. And the more people ask for stuff, the more HR can help. Where do people find out more from you guys at MetLife? I'm sure you guys have some tools that can help workers. Absolutely. So please check out the MetLife website. Uh, We have a lot of information. We have a great new deep dive through our employee benefit trend study. You can find all of that Um, And there's a few microsites you can link to uh, that really get into more personalized stories and and short little videos uh, that I think help make it real for people. That's awesome. Well, Meredith, thanks a ton for spending a few minutes with us today going over the study. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Big thanks to Meredith for calling up my dad shortwave. You know, I think our takeaway, and and we're going to hear this more from the Playing With Fire guys, I'm sure, based on what I saw in that documentary, Where your financial life goes, OG, so goes everything. A lot of people don't want to pay attention to their money situation because we're so excited about other areas of our life and money seems pretty boring. But that confidence that you get, like she was talking about, that confidence, so important to every part of your life. It's important to pay attention to money. It's important to pay attention to the things that are important to you. But you have to recognize that everything's integrated. You know what I mean? Like everything works together. And if something in your life, it doesn't have to be money. It could be a relationship or health or something. If something is dragging the other ones down, you got to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. How interrelated they absolutely are. The other takeaway, investing in IPOs or worried about investing in IPOs. I don't think I'd worry about it as much. I wouldn't. Yep. (laughs) These two gentlemen, Upstairs Talking to Mom, are two guys who have won lots of awards. Travis Shakespeare has won multiple Emmys. He started his own journey into fire a decade ago when he got sick of his student loans and consumer debt and said, you know what, something's got to change. 
you've seen him all over the place, like Life Below Zero, which was on Nat Geo, uh, Top Gear USA on the History Channel, Top Gear America on uh, the BBC America, Ice Road Truckers, one of OG's favorite shows. I actually do like that show. And, and The Deadliest Catch, which is also awesome. Uh, the Wild Within, Gourmet's Diary of a Foodie, and Gourmet's Adventures with Ruth, both on PBS. He's done so much work, and we're excited to talk to him. And also Scott Rickens, who is not only the star in this show, but also a two-time Emmy-nominated filmmaker. He's been the driving force on making this uh, film a reality. I had the opportunity to see this. OG, you're about to see it in the next couple days. I'm super excited to talk about the making of this documentary and about one guy's journey toward financial independence. Let's say hi to Scott Rickens and Travis Shakespeare. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's the makers of the latest hit movie, the, the one that almost cleared $1.2 billion, <laughs> our friends from Playing With Fire, creator Scott Rickens and director Travis Shakespeare. How are you guys? Good, Joe. Well, yeah, we just got done with the beautiful dinner that your mom made us upstairs, so we're, we're just fat and happy right now. I'm always excited how she lets guests have dinner but doesn't include us. What's that all about? Mom, meatloaf. Well, whose idea, Scott, you went through the journey and we're going to talk about the journey here in a minute, but whose idea was it to actually make a film of the journey? Yeah, <laughs> it was both of our ideas. Simultaneously, but not together until I heard Scott on the Choose FI podcast and made the link. That's funny. So tell me that story, Travis. So you were thinking about making a fire movie and then heard Scott's appearance? Yeah, so I had gone to the Chautauqua in Ecuador with Mr. Money Mustache and Jim Collins and Mad Scientist and Go Curry Cracker. And after I got out of there, I was like, how can I contribute to this conversation? You know, I'm not a math person. I don't have a blog, but I know how to make media. And I decided I'm going to do a documentary. And so I started doing it. And then I got waylaid by my day job. And the whole thing kind of got paused and then I kind of came up for air. And just as I was coming up for air, I heard Scott on Choose FI and the rest is history. And Scott, at that point, you were traveling around the country. But did you have thoughts of a movie at that stage of the journey? Yeah. So uh, I had actually planned to document our journey prior to leaving. I was a video producer for about 10 years and I was struggling with the idea that we would stay in San Diego with uh, the rising cost of living. And, uh, you know, my wife and I were just really working our tails off. And then we had a baby and then it really exasperated the issue. And so I was searching for ways to increase my income with side hustles or maybe a new idea, new business idea, whatever. And um, I came across Mr. Money Mustache on Tim Ferriss's podcast and all of a sudden took a huge deep dive into the whole fire movement. And, drank and, the <laughs> and I drank the Kool-Aid big time. And then I got to the end of that road. Well, not the end, but, you know, I had consumed a lot of that media and realized that there wasn't a lot of video out there. And so I wanted to scratch my own itch. And I saw it as an opportunity to sort of do a twofold thing where instead of increasing my income, I could work on my spending, but possibly also increase my income by working on my spending through a documentary. And I'd always wanted to make a documentary that was my own. I had made one prior for a client and I had gotten the taste and I wanted to do something with a little more creative control. So I was also really yearning for a connection with the fire community. And I thought this would be a really, really potent path to do that. 
So I reached out to the Choose Fi guys and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a documentary on the fire movement, and I would like to possibly make you guys a primary character in the film. And they got back to me in like five minutes. They're like, oh, we need to schedule a podcast with you. This is a great idea. This is going to do so much for the movement. And so they sort of forced my hand. And all of a sudden, I was making a documentary because those guys had just decided that. Um, And then Travis reached out to me almost maybe like a week after that podcast episode aired. And we met up maybe a week after he had emailed in Seattle. He just happened to be traveling through to Alaska. We just had dinner and connected immediately. And for me, it was a no-brainer to bring Travis in. It felt like it was our project, not my project. And it's been like that ever since. I think that we both solved problems for each other because... One of my problems was I didn't have, to date, I had already cast all of the experts for the movie, but I didn't have a central narrative to drive the story forward. And Scott and Taylor's organic decision to sort of leave their home and take this year-long journey was the perfect solution to that problem. Isn't it amazing how when you're creating something, the solution kind of presents itself over time like that? That's, it's, I mean, it happens to me every time I'm creating something new. I think, what's this hurdle? And within a few days, it's solved. There's something magical about the way things line up around creative projects. It's true. Yeah. Let's start off the journey. This is from about the four minute mark of playing with fire. This is actually uh, where you're introducing the characters, these fictional characters named uh, Scott and Taylor. My name is Scott. This is my wife, Taylor. (laughs) She always just like. And this is our daughter, Jovi. Good job! Like most families, money's never been easy for us. For years, we lived paycheck to paycheck, paying off student loans and credit card debt. Six years ago, we moved to a place we love and we've been focusing on our careers. I work in video production and Tay is a corporate recruiter. From the looks of it now, we've got it all. Nice cars, exotic trips, all the things we thought we deserve as we climb the ladder of success. Hi, Joby May! But with Jovi in the picture, something feels off. Because in order to have all this, we both have to work full time and we're spending what seems like every dime we make. And I suddenly feel that I'm not doing all I can as a husband and a father. But I think I've stumbled on an idea that could set us free. And then you go into the idea from there, we're off on our journey. Scott, when you say that something fell off... I'm hearing you talk during this early part of the film and I'm hearing I'm hearing that you're traveling, you live in a beautiful area, you have a lot of the things that most people want out of life, right? It seems like you can take some family vacations. It also seems like you like the jobs that you have. What's the off part of that scenario? Yeah, um you're right on all fronts and uh the off part was at the end of every month, we didn't have a lot left over. It felt like especially with Jovi in the picture, it felt like, well, we really need to start looking at this. Financial literacy in general was not one of our strong suits. And then on top of that, investment strategies was just a whole nother world. And it was a very scary world. Yeah. So when I when I was getting home at night after a long day, exhausted and tired, and then we have a baby to handle and deal with, and we have you know our relationship and our friends and our family and all these things going on, never felt like there was enough time to sit down and go, well, what should we do with, with our money? If we had some leftover, what should we do with it? What, where are our current 401ks invested? I, I don't even know. You know. Do we have a 529 plan for Jovi? What should we do there? I, I, I don't even know what that is. That's kind of where we were. 
that's what felt off. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew we were being irresponsible or we were doing something that we weren't doing something that maybe our friends were, that we knew we should be. We couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know what it was. But then it seems to me later on in the movie that your friends at the time really were a lot like you. I remember somebody saying that you, t- you and Taylor were very brave to be different. And it turns out that everybody's in the same boat. It's been pretty remarkable and eye-opening to see, yeah, how many other folks feel this same way. They just feel completely overwhelmed with adulting. One thing led to another. We started talking about how we were going to take this journey and this is why we were doing it. And here's what the supposed outcome is going to be. Next thing you know, you're in an intimate conversation with friends that you've never talked to about money before. And they're telling you about how they're in, you know, $60,000 in consumer debt. And you're sitting there thinking, well, then why do you have three cars in the parking lot? And why did you just, why are we drinking this expensive bottle of wine right now as you tell me this? That has happened over and over again. The statistics prove, I mean, our relationship with money in this country is absolutely broken. And Taylor and I were absolutely making all the the same mistakes. There's something about what's happening in our country and in, in industrialized society in general. You know, Thoreau talked about men leading quiet lives of desperation. I think that in a weird way, we have a society of people who are addicted to consumption and like all addicts, they're quietly sitting by themselves in their darkest hours going, what the hell am I doing with my life? This isn't working. I don't know what's happening, but something feels off and something needs to change. But I think that because money is a taboo in this society, even though we revere and worship it, they don't know where to start. I accidentally found this fire movement and this entire personal finance world it wasn't because I was searching for how to get out of my job. You know, I feel like I've now that I've, I've taken a step back and seen how how this goes. A lot of times people are fed up with their jobs. They don't like what they're doing. And so they'll Google something like how to retire early. And yeah. all of a sudden they'll find Mr. Money Mustache, number one result. Right. And then you kind of go down this rabbit hole. And, and in my case, I was actually looking to increase my income and I accidentally ran into him and then had sort of a, a a realization that I was focusing on the wrong thing, that we were already earning a decent amount of money and working really hard to do so. So I should be, you know, more careful with that work, more careful with that time and those resources. The beautiful thing about all this is, is it gave me a framework to work off of as a beginner and someone who's not that good at math that doesn't really want to open a spreadsheet. It gave me goals and it gave me a good reason to focus on this, to set up a life where we could be disciplined and yet still find ways to, to be happy and not go too far and all that. And so that's what I think the magic of all this is, is, hey, here's some investment options. Here's what a lot of people do. Most of these are bad ideas for the general public. Here's what you can do. And there's all kinds of little detailed ways that you can do it differently than others, depending on your hopes, dreams, goals, whatever. But here's the general framework. that you should abide by. And when that hit me, it was like, I don't need a master's course to understand how to invest my money. That's wonderful (laughs) news. And there's a whole bunch of people I can ask questions and I can tune into Stacking Benjamins and get some laughs while I'm at it and learn about this stuff. That's unbelievable to me. And so I felt compelled to sort of pay it forward and say, wow, if we can go find these other people that are walking in a haze and don't quite know how to fix this problem that they feel, I guarantee you there's a vast majority of those people that this is the beginning of that problem is they feel like they are powerless towards this. And this is a very, very scary thing to be in burdensome debt or not know how to deal with their money. And if we can at least help them get to that point, then they can start focusing on themselves, 
focus less on the money side and that function that it serves and improve people's lives at scale. I just love this idea that it all starts with these conversations. And and early in the film, there's a scene with Scott, you and Taylor in the park, and it's about what's important to you. And it, it kind of feels like maybe not the first time you've had this conversation, but it's a very, very meaningful conversation. You can tell you don't have a lot. And I want to play this scene from early in the film. Okay, here are my top 10 things that make me happy on a weekly basis. Uh, number one, hearing my baby laugh. Not surprising. Okay. Number two, having coffee with my husband. Oh. Number three, cuddling with my baby. Mm-hmm. Number four, going for a walk. Number five, going for a bike ride. Number six, enjoying a glass of wine. I did caveat, it does not have to be expensive, it just has to be alcoholic. Okay. Number seven, good chocolate. Okay. You know how I like my good chocolate. Mm-hmm. Number eight, uh, talking to my parents and family. Okay. Number nine, having family dinners. Okay. Um, and number 10, reading a book to my baby. Any surprises? Well, first off, I don't, I didn't hear the beach. The beach isn't on the list. Shoot. When was the last time you were on, on the beach? Uh, I walk by the beach every morning. Like everything on that list is stuff we can do pretty much anywhere. Do you <laughs> miss the seasons? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys, though, Scott, start having this big aha about what's really important to you? And a lot of it's not the trappings that most people think it is. Yeah. When I started learning about fire and this whole framework, it was inevitable that I needed to start looking at what what's really bringing us happiness. How do we want to spend our time? And can that time be spent similarly in other places? Because as I was looking at it, I realized this high cost of living area, while it's doable to still follow this framework, it's way more potent in a a more reasonable cost of living area. And in particular with Taylor and I, we both worked remote. And so, you know, we had the flexibility and freedom to kind of go anywhere. And so I loved that it allowed us to sort of frame this out. And you had mentioned earlier, you know, you figure that maybe we've had this conversation before. We hadn't. Mm. I think we had a lot of assumptions as a couple that's going on nine years married now, when we met, it was clear that we had similar goals, similar interests, and that's why we got together. And as our marriage progresses, those things change, you know, people change. And yet we never really went and revisited what matters most to us. And what ended up happening was we kind of succumbed to the trap of, you know, lifestyle creep, uh, maybe even a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Yeah, yeah. And we did that on accident. We didn't even, for years, we never you know, looked around and said, is this what we want? And that's not a derived situation for the film. We literally, for the first time in almost a decade, started asking ourselves, what brings us happiness now? I, think I mean, look at all a, the things that have changed, right? With a, with a, a new baby and absolutely. all this stuff. I think that's a great takeaway from this, even from the beginning. If, if everybody listening to this just creates the top 10 things that make you happy right now, and then see how much that list surprises you. Like when you said the beach isn't on there, and you're both surprised that the beach isn't on there. That leads to a conversation that you guys have with our mutual friend, Brandon, the mad scientist. But before we get to that conversation... Travis, I want to ask you about setting this up because you said that there were a lot of, you had a lot of different experts in the movie. We have Vicki Robin, J.D. Roth. We have uh, Mr. Bunny Mustache. I'm not going to get them all. There, there are a ton of names. And it was interesting from my standpoint, when I finished watching the movie, it didn't feel like a ton of people. Like I felt like 
it wasn't the Avengers where I'm trying to fit 57 experts in and yet you still fit 57 experts in. How difficult was that to construct a movie with so many different players and make that framework seem as seamlessly as it came out? It was extremely difficult. It took me and my editorial team a couple of months to find the, the structure of the film generally. You know, we didn't really have a model for the way that the movie is constructed. We kept looking for a model. The only way that I could think of it in my own mind was I, I was thinking of Greek, ancient Greek plays that have a chorus. So the, in an ancient Greek play, you have a line of action, and then the chorus comes in and, and provides commentary and helps contextualize the narrative. So that's kind of the structure that we use to build the film. We had close to, I don't know, a couple hundred hours of footage and I don't remember how many full interviews we had. I think we had something like 20 full interviews, all of which were anywhere from 45 to 90 minutes each. So finding the perfect sentence from each one of those experts to help drive that narrative was really painstaking. Was the most critical part of that at the 4204 minute mark when you've got me like walking across the stage waving? Was that a difficult yes. part to make sure it got in there? It was it was really hard. Um, we thought long and hard about it, but we were like, no, we've got to get Joe in this movie. Barely. Yeah, there's one other scene in my butt as I'm walking on stage. So thank <laughs> you for that. I did look good in those jeans. But let's go. <laughs> let, I don't want to spoil the book. Well, on that point, you yeah. know, one of the things that was the hardest part was like not getting everybody yet. I mean, the, the, we're spoiled with so many amazing voices in the, in this space that was one of the most painful parts for me was like when I had to like go, oh, God, we're not going to be able to get so and so in the movie. You know, we're not going to be able to use that bite. It's a great bite, but it doesn't fit with the narrative. It was really, really hard killing those babies. Back to the meeting with one of those experts that we're talking about with Brandon, the mad scientist. Scott, you and Taylor are sitting down with Brandon. I felt like back, I was back in the day when I was a financial planner because he's got a pen in his hand. You've got the laptop open and you're talking with a couple. I'm like, Brandon, I'd never thought of him in that role, but you guys are having the same conversations I used to have with people. And he tells you that you're spending a third of your money over a third of your money just on housing. And he says, there's only three things you really need to pay attention to, not 50, but if you pay attention to these three things, things are going to be a lot easier. Was that surprising to you? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's the other thing. You know, this is all very overwhelming to a beginner. And when you reframe it to look, it's, you know, housing, cars, and food, take care of those three things and the rest will follow. You'll have, you'll form good habits out of those things, right? And those things are the most potent. If you can drive down the costs of those things, you're going to see real gains. And that might motivate you to, to do all the other little things like, you know, and, and I feel like that's a lot different than what I had I had been doing. You know, Taylor, this wasn't the first time Taylor and I tried to budget. That's not true. I had set up a mint account. We had tried to budget. We had tried to cut out sushi dinners. I tried to stop going to Starbucks. But you love but, sushi. I do love sushi, man. <laughs> and I love coffee so much. But now it's okay to spend money on coffee because I've I've cut so many other places. You know, as J.D. Ross says in the film, you know, if you like going out to fancy dinners, go ahead and go out to fancy dinners. But if you don't care about those things, cut them out. You know, spend lavishly on the things that you like, but cut out the rest. And I was definitely floored to find out how simple all of this was. But that doesn't make it easy. And I think that's where the real story is, is like, this isn't an easy journey. There is discipline and strategy and, and resilience and you need support. 
to really effectively do this at this level, but it's simple. And that was my, that was my Harajuku. That was my epiphany moment was this is simple. And if it's simple and no one knows about this and everybody's struggling with this problem, oh man, we need to get this out there. And, and, you know, one of the best ways to do it is visually is, is with an emotional story. It's with something like a film, um, maybe a TV series, something like that. And it's like, I can't believe this doesn't exist yet. We have to scratch this itch. Let's go for it. Yeah, you guys capture several moments where Scott and Taylor, you guys have rocky spots along the way. And it just, it takes me through this emotional roller coaster. I wanted to ask a question about that. As I'm watching the film, I'm wondering how much of this film is really about changing your money behavior and how much of it is just, and I'll ask you first, Travis, I think, how much of this is just about living intentionally and about seeing this couple who's kind of drifting through a lifestyle that's good but not great and taking the reins. And now all of a sudden they're communicating about money. They're communicating about goals. They're communicating about their life. They have this clear vision. There was a part of me that thought that even if this wasn't about financial independence, retire early, it's still a kick-ass story because you've got the whole team playing the same game. How much of it do you think is just about that, Travis? I think one follows the other. I mean, I really do believe that the whole game is raising your consciousness around the topic, right? So it's kind of like if like if you're overweight and you, you know, you need to understand nutrition. Like you can sit there and like read fads off the internet. You can go to like do your BuzzFeed top 10 list and avoid carbs or whatever. But time after time after time, people fail doing that strategically. But if you just really understand the very primary basic information about, for instance, nutrition, or in this case, financial literacy, like Scott said, it's really simple. And once that is brought into your consciousness, then the action is very easy to follow. So I'm on board at this point in the movie. Things are going great. I don't want to spoil the movie. I want to end this discussion at about the 16 minute mark of the movie when I went, what the hell's going on here? And I'm going to play, I'm going to play this moment. And I think we'll finish on this. <laughs> Safe travels. Yeah. Have a blast. Girl. Wow. Yeah. It'll be good. out of the office right now um just quit my job whoo that was really hard i really hope that wasn't a bad idea <laughs> i'm like great they're having meaningful conversations this is awesome and then he's like he quit his damn job what the hell's that about and that's where that's where the journey kicks off how long did you and Taylor uh, talk about that before you walked in and said, hey, um, I'm going to go do something else? That part of the story is actually depicted pretty well in detail in the book. There was this moment that I had before I even found all this fire stuff. The reason why I was listening to Tim Ferriss and trying to increase my income is I was, I was actually really unhappy at, at my job. I like the work that I do, but I didn't like the job that I had because I actually been an entrepreneur for seven years uh, you know, that kind of ran its course. We were running a small video production company. We had sold it to a marketing agency, left that marketing agency, and kind of reformed the company again. And about a year after and continuing to have success after success after success, one of the co-founders of, of that company um, decided to move on. Video production is is honestly, it's a kind of a young man's game in some 
some regard. Uh, you're so it, it's <laughs> you're such an old man. <laughs> you know, it's it's you know a lot of time traveling, a lot of time away from your family. It's you know lifting heavy equipment around all over the place, being in different locations, and that was just starting to take its course on on one of our co-founders, and so he decided to move on. So the point is, is I ended up. Uh, taking a job I thought would be great for me. I wanted to go work at a creative agency where I didn't own it. I could, I could come home and let it all stay at work. And instead of, you know, as an entrepreneur, it kind of never goes away. I thought that'd be perfect for me as I had a new, a new child. And what I didn't realize was how much of my identity was wrapped up in, in entrepreneurship. And so it wasn't the company. The company was a wonderful company to work for and, and a growing company. It was fun. And I liked what I, I liked the work that I was doing, but but I needed something more. I wanted, I wanted to go pursue things. I, I was frustrated with uh, being an employee. And so I didn't realize that I wasn't getting away with this. I thought I was keeping this to myself, but my family recognized that I was slightly miserable. So I was scared out of my mind to go talk to my wife about moving on again. Um, and I ended up going and talking to my mother-in-law. First. <laughs> and and because she noticed she and I are connected and uh, we're very, very close. And she's an entrepreneur, a lifelong entrepreneur. And um, she actually started the company that my that my wife works for. She works for her sister. So it's a family company. So I count her as a mentor in my life. And she noticed that something was off with me and asked me to lunch. And I told her what was going on. And I started breaking down. Um, I literally started crying in the middle of like Ballast Point Brewing Company, downtown San Diego. <laughs> And uh, I'm not much of a crier. And uh, and so I was like, what is going on with me? And we paid the bill, went for a walk. And she was like, you know, we all believe in you and what you want to do and what your aspirations are. Why don't you talk to Taylor about this? And I just I, I think I had just made it something that I, I couldn't talk to her about. And, and by the way, this all comes back to money. I was fearful to talk to my wife about my feelings towards this job that was technically just an experiment anyway, because we were not secure with our finances. And I didn't have any kind of runway to make a decision to, let's say, make a big drastic decision like that to leave. And so when we found this fire stuff, it was something that was fairly difficult to convey in this movie. And Travis can speak to this scene in particular, because I know we wrestled with it a lot, was the ability to leave my job and and trust that I could find freelance work and and pursue this dream of mine was facilitated by the fact that I found this fire movement and realized that by decreasing our spending. And we went drastic, as you'll learn in the film, we went really drastic with our, with decreasing our spending. But by doing so, it actually replaced my income. We saved so much money that I didn't need that income. And so we could live off of one income um, and I could go and pursue this dream. And so the other side of that was like that flexibility allowed us to move. You know, I needed to quit that job to move and be remote. And so- Well, and the um, other side of that too that we've wrestled with before is when your income dynamic changes and you even deal with that a little bit in the film, like your income dynamics change now. And and so now the family dynamic kind of changes or you're worried it's going to. Absolutely. That's something that is very foreign to me and not like, it, it, and that, that gets into, you know, the way you were yeah. raised and what you expect and all this crazy <laughs> yeah. stuff. And so that was a whole other thing, but I'm very blessed to have an ambitious, smart, amazing wife who is able to finance my, my whims, <laughs> but yeah, it can affect relationships. And I think it's an important piece to all of this. So let's talk about where people can see it then guys, uh, Travis, you guys have a whole release schedule coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so we just had our first private screening at Mr. Money Mustache's world headquarters with about 100 people, which was amazing. And from there, starting in June, 
we're going to be doing a series of, of local and limited private screenings, mostly in major cities. Uh, we're also looking at potentially allowing people to do screenings in mid-sized cities as well. The distribution path to adopt for a documentary like this is a little weird uh, until we have like a major distributor behind us. So right now we're trying to sort of stoke the fires, get everybody really excited, let the large cities take a look at the film, and then we'll figure out a way to go more direct to consumer from there. Awesome. And where do people get more, more information then about where they can see it? If you go to playingwithfire.co.co, you can sign up to our email list and we're going to be keeping everybody abreast of all the possibilities as we go forward. That's fantastic. And we'll, we'll share the link if you're walking the dog or on your commute on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Scott, I'd, I'd be remiss too, while we got you here, you, you have a book. I mean, we've got the, we, we've got the film. We have a book on the topic. You're in airports everywhere, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's been really fun. And every time I'm in an airport, I try to sign them if I can find them. So, um, yeah, that's been really cool, but really interesting little side project that ended up happening. That was, uh, an immensely difficult process, but my God, like, I don't know if I'll ever write a book again, but, but I think it was worthwhile and it, it allowed us to sort of dive in a little bit deeper to some of the, the strategies, the tactics, the numbers and things like that. And a little bit deeper into our story. Um, I think it's a nice compliment to the movie and I think, you know, the movie is a nice compliment to the book. So that's yeah. what I was going to say. I think it's a good one two punch, like watch the film, get the concepts, go deeper into the, into the, to borrow Brad's term. If you want to be more of a scientist about it, uh, go deeper there. Uh, you're going to get Scott's takeaways in the movie, a lot of takeaways in the movie. So Travis, I want, I would like you to have the last word, if you don't mind creating this film, what's your big takeaway from making? Cause you can't be a creator of a project like this without having your own big takeaway. You know, my biggest takeaway is it's just sad and remarkable how many people are sitting quietly in desperation about their financial lives we live in a world, in a society that does not promote financial literacy for a multitude of reasons. And that's something that is really important to me and Scott as well, in terms of like how we go forward from here. We're interested in seeing an educational revolution happen in this country. And hopefully the emotional components of this film, breaking the taboo, having the conversations, raising consciousness around your own financial lives which, of course, then affect society's lives and in, in extension, the world as well. Our hope is that people will wake up to that and that the possibility to reimagine the culture that we live in will be possible. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Hashtag Doug 2020. And what a party Joe's mom threw for Mother's Day. She told us she was going to invite strippers and they were going to paint the town. Well, I wasn't having any of that. I mean, like, look, this is a family community on the show. I know we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses or like the Kardashians, but like, well, what would the Kardashians think? I'll tell you where this story goes right after today's trivia question. It turns out that today on this crazy holiday calendar is Leprechaun Day. And while you and I think leprechauns and immediately think about prints on our underwear or gold, you know, either one, like you could go either way with that, what's less known is this. According to folklore, what's a leprechaun's primary occupation? 
I'll be back with that answer and the salacious details of Joe's mom's Mother's Day bash in just a moment. Well, thanks to Acre Trader for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, when it comes to investing, a lot of asset classes are the same. And if you're really looking for differentiation, I'm a guy from cornfield country in West Michigan. I get it. Investing in farmland, different than investing in residential real estate or commercial real estate, is a pretty boring, when I say boring, I'm, I mean boring in the best way possible, investment. In fact, if you take, there was a recent uh, Forbes article that the guys at Acre Trader shared with me that showed farmland comparing favorably with gold. So here's how Acre Trader works. It's an investment platform that makes it easy for you to own shares of farmland, and then you'll get passive income, and you can start with as little as $1,000. Their website makes it completely transparent about how the whole thing works. Acre Trader handles all the aspects of administration and property management from insurance and accounting to working with local farmers and improving soil sustainability so that that farmland lasts longer. What you do, here's what you do. You go to acretrader.com forward slash SB and you can see the different offerings that are out right now. Now, you have to be an accredited investor. Go look up what that means. Even if you're not an accredited investor, we talked to Carter Malloy on Friday and he said they're working on things for people who aren't accredited investors. But regardless, just head there and you can take a look. It tells you a risk measurement score and gives you the gross cash yield and then the return. I know what you might be thinking, which is the same thing I thought when I first thought about being invested in farmland. I don't know anything about farming. Here's the deal. You're not investing in farming. You're investing in the property. You're the landlord. As long as the farmer makes enough money to continue to pay his rent every year, as long as the farmer makes enough money to pay his or her rent every year, you'll get your income stream like clockwork. Farmland investments come with historically low volatility, almost no correlation to the stock market, and is a hedge against inflation, which makes it an appealing, tangible asset for diversifying your portfolio. You can invest in under five minutes. Unlike other farmland investment options, you can buy shares of land directly and start with a small amount, a thousand bucks. And basically, these guys are in the middle of farm country. They're in Northwest Arkansas. They know farming. They know finance. They're ready to make it all work for you. For more information on how to become a farmland investor with AcreTrader, visit AcreTrader.com forward slash SB. That's AcreTrader.com forward slash SB. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in case you were wondering, yes, I did survive Joe's mom's big Mother's Day bash. If you remember, she said she was going to invite strippers and then paint the town. I didn't know what to expect, but listen to this. Around 9 a.m., loads of dudes in white overalls show up, and I know what you're thinking. I was thinking the same thing. This looks like trouble. But then they head to the living room and move all the furniture, and I'm thinking, this is going to get crazy. Then, all in unison, they start going up and down, stripping all the paint off the walls. It was out of control. Then they painted a mural of the town on the wall. What a banger. It was lit. Well, here's what's also lit, millennials. Today's trivia answer. The question was this. According to folklore, what's a leprechaun's primary occupation? No, not that one. 
This one. Leprechauns are known as cobblers or shoemakers in some legends. They also know where a pot of gold is located. I'll tell you what, we're going to need two pots of gold to pay for all these strippers. See ya! Cobblers for the answer. Hmm. And it's weird when you're dressed Eating in... Eating a lot of corn, that just really doesn't seem like a <laughs> thing that a leprechaun would do. But... No, isn't okay. that weird? Yeah. And by the way, those uh, t-shirt print uh, tuxedos, weird serving a bunch of painters, stuff in a tuxedo, but mom's got her rules. She's fancy. It, it, it was a crazy, crazy party though, wasn't it? I didn't realize I'd be working the entire tri- <laughs> no. the entire day. But no. Hey, let's it's run. her mom and on Mother's Day. It so is. what are you going to do? Mom's rules on Mother's Day or every other day, frankly, in this house. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Those little hot dogs wrapped in... Uh, Crescent rolls oh. that she made us hand out yesterday pigs with a little toothpicks in them. Pigs in a blanket. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And? and deviled eggs. It was a weird combo. I uh, uh, see. I'm not a fan of the deviled eggs. I can't go there. Just, just not my, not my thing. Not your jam. No, no, not, not at all. But I do think that if you've got loved ones in time around, I could probably make that work. Which is what they say it is. Here, my script. I have no idea. I'm just reading. It's why it could be deviled eggs and pigs in a blanket, probably a better answer, but they're saying loved ones in time. I don't know. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven now for a free quote. It's a super simple application online. You get an instant coverage decision. By the way, they just won an industry award from Sellant as an industry leader in data analytics and AI. Listen to this. They were a model insurer award winner for data analytics and AI. According to Nickelode, senior analyst at Sellant, the model insurer awards recognize how the industry is using technology to change the face of insurance. Haven Life and Mass Mutual should serve as an inspiration to others looking for strong examples of best practice implementation that will have a truly meaningful impact on the industry. Good stuff. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Congratulations to them for doing what they say they're going to do, making this process easy. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote that tells them that uh, we sent you. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our friend, Catherine. Say hi, Catherine. Hey, Joe and OG. My name is Catherine from Atlanta. I'm wondering why people say that paying off debt increases your net worth. If you have $10,000 of cash and $10,000 of debt, your net worth is zero. If you use that cash to pay off the debt, your net worth is still zero. So why do people say paying off debt increases your net worth when we can agree that it doesn't? Thanks for your help. I'm sure I won't learn anything. If you don't know the answer, maybe you can ask neighbor Doug. I'm sure he'll be able to help. Unfortunately, Doug is unavailable. He's still uh, recuperating from all those uh, paint fumes, Catherine. But I think we uh, we can grab this. I've never heard anybody say that paying off debt increases your net worth. Is that a thing? I agree completely with Catherine here. There is no impact to your net worth. That's right. You had an asset and a liability, and now you have neither of those things in that example. Although one might argue that your net worth would increase faster without debt from that point forward. But uh, simply taking money out of your checking account to pay off your credit card does not improve your net worth. Could improve your cash flow. That would be a different thing. 
since you don't have that payment anymore, you're able to you know, use it for other things, savings or other goals. Yeah, it's really more about best use of a new dollar to the equation, right? I mean, which side of the balance sheet you add it to? Do you add it to savings or do you get rid of liabilities? Right. And so I think that ultimately it has the same effect, paying down debt or adding savings in terms of a static line item. But over time, I don't think it has the same effect. Right. Yeah. You know, so over if time, you've got 25% interest credit card debt and your option is, do I put that $5,000 a year on my credit card debt to pay it down or do I put it in my investment account? Your net worth will improve more by paying down the credit card debt than in the investment account. Likewise, you could argue the other way. If I've got a 3% house note and I've got $200,000 on it and 200000 in my bank, it would be better to invest the 200000 you know, tomato, tomato there on potential for the new money. It was funny because I saw in a personal finance forum just this morning while I was eating my Cheerios, I saw... Honey, honey nut, regular, or chocolate? Actually, to be truthful, it was an off-brand version of uh, that cool Special K fruit and yogurt thing. Mm, hmm. It was so good. But as I was eating, I was flipping through some articles and uh, looking through personal finance forums, and somebody said an advisor recommended that someone save money versus pay off debt. They gave zero context to the question, OG. And of course, everybody decided to rip on the advisor saying, no, you should always pay off your debt, which is what Earl and Peoria got awful angry without having all the facts, <laughs> which is why it comes down to, it comes down to the interest rate. And I'm screaming at my device, like, how come none of these people, how come Earl and Peoria is not asking about the interest rate or the type of debt or anything about it before we all jump on the advisor who, by the way, the advisor was across the table and had all the facts. And Mr. Facebook, Earl in Peoria, you didn't have half the facts, but you certainly had an opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's about goals and what's most important and that sort of stuff. If it's purely the question of, does this improve my net worth, taking 10 grand out of my checking account to, to apply $10,000 uh, on my loan balance? No, it's the same thing the bank will look at you in the exact same capacity. But I also think that if you're looking at it from a financing standpoint or an interest rate or goals, it may be better to keep the cash. You know, if you've got a big expense coming up or if you've got uh, tuition payments or retirement or whatever. So more facts, please. But if someone specifically says your net worth improves by paying off your debt, they are incorrect. Thanks for the question. Great question there. Uh, another great question we have gotten letters here in the basement, and unfortunately, we're not taking new letters. If you go back a few shows, you can hear the reason why we can't take new letters to the basement, but we're still finishing them out. So if you've got a letter with us, we're going to read those. Today's letter comes to us from Wendy. Wendy says, hello, I have a substantial amount in a full service brokerage account at Edward Jones. Only recently did I take the time to understand the fees. Most are class A shares, so the commission was paid when purchased, but annual fees are high as well. I want to move everything into a low-fee account such as Vanguard or Fidelity, but would like to know the best strategy to do so. I'm 56 right now and plan to work about three more years. Thanks for any help you can provide. Thanks, Wendy, for the question. Let's talk about fees on funds, Mr. OG. Do we have to? I know that was my exact thought. 
Do we have to? And by the way, Wendy, there's a reason why we're we are laughing about this one because this is another thing Earl and Peoria online gets all upset about. Fees are an important dragon. They're not the dragon. They're not the reason, Wendy, you're not going to reach your goal. The reason you're yeah. not going to reach your goal is because you didn't save enough money because of the fact that you prioritized other stuff. Don't get me wrong, Earl and Peoria, I worry about fees too. And maybe Wendy overpaid in fees, maybe not. But what we don't know, we don't know what fun she bought. We don't know how it meets the goal. We have zero of that information. And you know what? Maybe she's got a fund that is 90% right. Maybe she does. And maybe Wendy hasn't saved a dime into them. So she's got a fund that's 90% right and hasn't saved a dime. Earl in Peoria jumps all over the fees and says, you got to go to the perfect fund. Not the dragon, Earl. Not the dragon. Maybe you've invested religiously $1,000 a month into this fund for the last 30 years, and you have a million dollars in this uh, investment account, and the cost, your total costs are 200000 and you say, yeah, my fees are too high, and I'm going to move it all to Vanguard, and you do that, and then you find out that the tax bill is $200,000 next year. Man, you didn't know that was coming, and so you decided to try to save 1800 bucks. And instead, I was paying, you know, the IRS 200000 Or maybe the funds are terrible and you're getting ripped off. And that could be the case, too. Sometimes if you've got an A-share mutual fund, maybe you did pay a, a commission up front. Maybe you didn't. Just because it's an A-share doesn't necessarily mean that you did pay a commission up front. There's accounts, uh, programs at different brokerage companies where you still get to have the A-shares or or you get to have lower cost shares and you actually don't pay a commission for that. Instead, you pay uh, you know, a monthly or a quarterly asset management fee. So just because the fund says that it charges a commission doesn't mean that you paid it. Now, maybe you did. And maybe the funds are terrible. And maybe they've underperformed. And maybe your advisor slash broker has never in the last 20 years contacted you. Those are all great reasons to look for a different change. But if the sole reason is, this fund is 0.7% and this fund is 0.1% and therefore my retirement is doomed because of this extra 0.6% difference because the internet would tell me that if I compounded 0.6% over the next 45 flipping years, then I would have a gazillion dollars. That's probably not the reason. So I would do a little bit more investigating before kind of pull the ripcord on that. And if all of those other things are true, not great service, not great performance, you know, definitely being overcharged, not on track for your goals, and you're not getting any help with that, well, then, yeah, you should go with the cheapest option. Because guess what? You'll still be not on track for your goals. But you can get nowhere cheaper. But you can get there for less. <laughs> and why not? What a bargain, <laughs> you know. But if you're on track for your goals and you are paying a little bit of money for that, then... That's the advisor's job is to make sure that you get where you're going. I've never talked to anybody close to their deathbed where they've said, boy, I really wish that my expense ratios on my mutual funds were a little less over the last 50 years. You know, like people care about like, did I make it to my goal? Did I make it and have enough money? Did I not run out in retirement? 
And if all those things are true, then the rest of the stuff is icing on the cake. So I, I'm not saying that it's not important. And yeah, there's some really egregious things. I saw a new client the other day brought in mutual funds that had over a 2% charge. Holy cow. That's ridiculous. Yes. Like I get that. You yeah. know what I mean? And and yes, that should be changed. And yes, that's 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 over the top. And but may, and maybe I mean even to your point earlier, maybe the point seven to point two needs to change, right? I mean maybe it does. Sure. But it's still nine times out of ten when I saw people, that wasn't the real reason they were failing. That was not the reason they were failing. You know, there's big debate about this whole cost thing, and you know you can't beat the market and that sort of thing. And the the, the reality is that people do. And you can, and you should want to. <laughs> Otherwise, like being average is okay too. But I there are it. people who do do better than quote unquote the market. And maybe you have one of those positions. You know, I saw a great article on this as well. And we'll have this as a headline on Wednesday as, as, as well. Really interesting thing from uh, Bruce Ahrens, who's a big commentator in this area. Just uh, there was a study done that he wrote about, and I believe it's in Forbes, but I'll find it. And, uh, and we'll talk about that more on Wednesday, too, because it is enlightening w when people say that people don't beat the market. Well, no, it happens. Yeah. No, you're yeah, right. It happens. You, you, just can't, you just can't predict it in advance. But what's interesting is that I, I thought about this the other day because I don't know if it was investment news or something like that came up with this. Um, they had a list of the top, whatever, small cap growth funds over the last 12 months or something. I don't remember what it was. But the average was like 11%. And I don't remember exactly these numbers, but so don't quote me on it. But it was like 11, let's say. And the top one was at like 35% for the year. And the top one had a higher cost to it by a factor of half a percent. Now, of course, you can't see that into the future. You can't see into the future and say, I bought this one because I thought it was going to do better. That's not a thing. But you have it if you just purely looked at it from the perspective of the expense on this was 0.5% more than this other one that should be that, you know, that's less expensive. You completely negate the fact that this one beat the other one by freaking 200 times, <laughs> 200%. You know, it's like I had a hundred thousand dollars and now I have 140,000 or I have 110,000, but this one's cheaper. It's like you can pay, an extra 500 bucks a year for a really long time when you're $30,000 ahead. So don't get wrapped up in the wrong stuff, basically, is what Joe's saying. And I'm paraphrasing for him. If you go through all that, though, Wendy, and you're going to make the move, I think the important things from back when OG was talking about this earlier, collect all your tax information ahead of time, because if you've held positions for a long period of time, before 2012, uh, you might have trouble getting that information the second thing to do, there's a very simple form called an account transfer form. Look at the fees where you're at now. Look at the fees at the new place to sell the wrong spot and buy the new one. And obviously you want to sell at the place with the cheaper fee. So I might do an, a transfer of the fund if possible to the new place if it's cheaper and then sell once I get there to buy the new stuff. But mm -hmm. so you want to look, and by the way, also look at the tax implication to sell, make sure you've got the money set aside to pay that tax or you set the money aside from the proceeds of the fund before you reinvest it. So you're not surprised next year when you've got a tax due because you made the move. So I think, 
those kind of covers it yeah, covers a lot of it. Yeah, yep. those are the things to consider. Uh, thanks for the questions, Wendy and Catherine. You got a question for the show? Call the Haven Lifeline. That's still open. We're going to continue taking Haven Lifeline calls. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and you can have your question answered by OG and I. I know you just got goosebumps thinking about that because super exciting. Also, speaking of super exciting, before we say goodbye to this episode, OG and his team are taking clients. So if you're looking for good financial help in your corner, the way to start interfacing with he and his team is stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. That leads you to OG and his team's calendar, and uh, you can get that ball rolling. Thanks also to everybody who leaves reviews of this podcast. This is the one mom has right now on her refrigerator. Five stars from... I think it's pronounced Jine, uh, J-U-I-N-N-Y-E. I think it's Jine, almost like Forrest Gump called uh, Jenny, Jine. Jine writes, like herding financial cats. If you're looking for a show that actually teaches you anything about money, you've come to the wrong place. Well, that's not completely true, but I like where you're going there. If, however, you see two guys who function in barely controlled chaos down in a basement, that part is true, reined in only by their neighbor, Doug, and his awesome trivia, you've arrived. As well as hijinks and hilarity, you'll also walk away with a full belly, have a seat in mom's kitchen for some good old home cooking, get menu recommendations from the local sizzler, and don't forget to save room for dessert. But whatever you do, don't try the coleslaw. The coleslaw is the gift that won't go away, OG. Usually say the gift that keeps giving. That one doesn't, mm-hmm. keep, it just doesn't go away. I should have never told that story. That was, that was uh, bad on my part. But thank you very much, Janae, for that. And mom is very proud of us showing that to everybody who comes over for bridge. That's going to do it for this episode. Doug, take it from your man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. As the future president, I have to be a great communicator, so I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from the makers of the FIRE documentary. The most important part of your financial journey? That you're mindful of the money decisions you're making because they'll affect every area of your life. Second, thinking about investing in an internet public offering? Remember, it's probably a bet and not an investment because you have a very little data to base your investment decisions on. But the big lesson? Always ask the strippers if you can work with them. Apparently, these guys don't have any jobs available, but I found another place downtown that is hiring. They said I'd need baby oil and pole experience. Didn't they mean like brush experience, though? I mean, you can't paint without the brush. Anyway, I don't know. But it looks like old Doug's going to be rolling in the dough. Special thanks to Scott Rickens and Travis Shakespeare from the Playing With Fire documentary for stopping by. Want to see it yourself? We'll be helping them bring it to Detroit this summer. But for information on more viewing parties, head to playingwithfire.co. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. 
There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just brought this podcast in for a landing, and I'm feeling hashtag epic. You've been watching any Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime stuff lately? No. No. We finished I have no time. We finished the fourth season of Catastrophe, which mm. uh my review goes like this. First season was phenomenal, second season not very good, third season fantastic, fourth season kind of weird and uneven but more back toward what season 1 and season 3 were doing. So, there okay. it is. If you want to watch uh two comedians half an hour show where they really get into it, I I really like that. We also watched season two of Sabrina. I know a lot of people in our audience are watching Sabrina. That show, that show got dark, man. Got really, really dark. It's funny because of the courses after Sabrina, the teenage witch. And for people that saw the, the Melissa Joan Hart show on TV, you know, the really campy one, they're like, yeah, that's not for me. (laughs) This show also kind of campy as I've reported in the past, but holy cow, has it gotten dark. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, Cheryl and I have just begun this show, which we just heard is going off the air. This show, we're watching season one of this, uh, and people are going to write me going, I can't believe you're just starting to watch uh, a show called Shit's Creek. Innovation. Revenue. There are people here from the government. <laughs> People are just like taking our stuff. Leave your finances to me, said son of a There's a very small amount set aside for you. And one asset the government has allowed you to retain. The kids. The children are dependents, Moira. You bought a small town in 1991. I bought that as a joke for my son. You can live there for next to nothing until you get back on your feet. Oh, you're you're the uh, mayor we're supposed to meet. That's right. So if you're looking for an ass to kiss, it's mine. You have a couple of sweets. This guy. This is a motel, so we cater more to off-road truckers and drunk teenagers. This place is a dump. It's a dump. You know what? It's a hellhole. This wine is awful. Give me another glass. God, we haven't been close. I don't want to be written off as some gorgeous airhead, you know? This is my town, and you're going to play by my rules now. I'm just messing with you, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> or am I?
those those voices you've heard before uh uh eugene levy for, for people that don't know him he he's the dad in american pie so if you've seen american pie you know exactly who he is he's been in everything Catherine o'hara who was uh, another uh, great comedian and actress plays his spouse. And she is, she, I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, most famous is the mom in home alone. I don't know. She's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, Daniel Levy is, is, is the son and Annie Murphy plays the daughter. Chris Elliott is the mayor of the town and a descendant to the founders of the town. His name is Roland shit. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> Rolling shit. Yeah. And and he totally does. S-C-H-I-T-T. Yes. I don't know why I didn't start watching it. I guess I didn't know who was in it. I didn't realize. I just heard the name and I'm like, yeah, that sounds like it's just kind of forced humor. I have watched three episodes of this and I can see why people were so hooked on it because this little half hour show is phenomenal. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 90, IMDb an 8.2 out of 10. I see tv.com 8.6 out of 10. This is some seriously funny TV and I found out that it's going off the air. But much like I've discovered other funny shows as they go off the air, this one is uh is is just just amazing. Sounds like I'll have to put it on the list of stuff to watch sometime when I'm old and retired. Dude, as you, it's only half an hour, and I'll tell you, you, you heard how it starts off. the 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 doorbell rings on this huge oh, mansion. Yeah, half they hour. have. It's funny. This this doorbell rings on this mansion, and uh, the the woman, the maid answering the door, is horrified. Immigration, no revenue. Turns out that their business manager has uh, stolen all their cash, and they now have no money. And this little town that they bought for fun for his son's birthday called Schitt's Creek with all their money is the only thing left because the IRS says it's not worth anything. And so they have to go live there in a motel in this horrible town. And uh, you take super rich people and put them in this uh, redneck town and hilarity ensues. It is it is awesome. It's a fish out of water story. So very funny stuff. Uh, Schitt's Creek. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.